Welcome to the Eagle Naz Church Podcast. My name is Bree, and thanks for joining us. We hope that the next 30 minutes helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus, and that you will see how God wants to move in your life. Thanks for listening. We just started this brand new series called It's Personal, and I'm really loving it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's about Zacchaeus last week. With Zacchaeus, we learned that in this encounter with Jesus, before it's done, Jesus knows his name. Isn't it nice to have somebody know your name? And Jesus knows his needs. That's what we get to camp on today. And, and then he, he understands his past. That's what we talk about next week. Anybody just thankful that Jesus can redeem our past? Yeah, thank you, Kevin. Whoa. And he knows our potential. He speaks into that. And, and, and before it's done, he, he's crossed the line and he's made it personal in a way that transforms us uh, permanently in, in a way that will never be the same. Because we, we serve this God who crosses the line. Today we get to learn about that in, a, in another passage that Jesus does that all over again because that's what Jesus does. He crosses the line. Uh, he, he, he goes to this line that's been established. You see, we, we establish lines in our life. We don't even realize that we, we have uh, the line of um, income. And, and we have the line uh, that uh, is there of misunderstanding. We just, somehow we don't understand that group or those people. And so that becomes a part of the line. Or it, it can be reputation or, or income or status or where we live, uh, culture. And eventually, a big part of the line, honestly, is just comfort. It's just, it's just easy for me to stay on this side of the line. Because if I stay on this side of the line, then I don't have to cross that side of the line because that's uncomfortable for me. Anybody know that world? And it can be so easy to just stay here. But the problem is, if love doesn't cross the line, needs aren't met, and people don't know that Jesus is personal to them, and they never find the healing power that's offered when love steps over the line. So we get to be challenged today. Jesus is in his home city, Scripture calls it. It's not hometown of Nazareth, but this is Capernaum. It's where all his public ministry is. Uh, he starts out healing a guy on the Sabbath, and that ticks the religious leaders off because they can't believe, like, who would heal somebody on the Sabbath that's against the rules? And then as it goes further, Jesus is found to be meeting with tax collectors, our tax, in Jesus' day, tax collectors weren't the favorite people to hang out with, but today they're our favorite, aren't they? And, and, and so Matthew is writing his text today, and he says there was a guy named Matthew who, a tax collector, but he doesn't put his name in, and he says, and Jesus came to his house, and there were many sinners there, lots of people who were across the line and that guy was one of them, that guy at the booth. And Jesus invited him in. He crossed the line. 
And, and, and the scripture, if you go to the original language, says, and he rose up. It's like he rose up to new life when Jesus talked to him and he got out of the old life he was in when Jesus crossed the line and he crossed the line. And then, you know, there's, there's this moment where Jesus talks about lasting, meaningful, impactful change and doing something brand new. Anybody remember the 70s? Hash jeans and star jeans and big hair and frog glasses. Those were the days. And they were so cool, those jeans. And everybody thought they were doing something brand new with, when they were wearing those. Melody and I went into a store here a few weeks ago. She wanted a cardigan because she gets cold even in the summer with the air conditioning. And look what's on display is the right-hand screen. I couldn't believe it. I took pictures, and she's going, what are you taking pictures of that? And I go, that's nothing new. We had hash and star jeans and big hair and frog glasses. And Jesus, you know, the Pharisees thought they were doing a new thing and that they were up on what was going on and they, they were meeting the needs of their world. But Jesus says, you're not doing anything new. And they're criticizing him. They, they say, your, your disciples don't even fast like they're supposed to. And, and Jesus began to tell them a series of stories. And he says, you don't combine a wedding and a funeral. Weddings are for fun and funerals are for what you guys do. And then he said, it's like a, a patch of clothing. And he said, you could take a, a, a new piece of cloth and put it on an old piece of clothing. And when you did, it would just make the whole worth worse than it was in the beginning because it had never worked. And Jesus goes further and he says, you think you're making things new. But he said, it would be like... Um, taking goat skin and it's already been used to put wine in and it's over the years become brittle and, and as it was fermented, it, it hardened and the wine was good wine, but then you, that wine was gone and you put new wine in and it doesn't have the flexibility of the, the new goat skin and it, there's gonna be an explosion. And Jesus says, if you keep trying to do things the way you used to always do them, it'll never work because you have to do something absolutely brand new, and that something is you're going to have to cross the line. You're going to have to love people that you're not used to loving, and you're, you're, you're going to get the opportunity to spend time that you haven't spent with, and rules are going to be less important than relationship because love is going to cross the line. In fact, it's not just going to cross it, it's going to jump over it with joy. Amen? And so today, Jesus is uh, on the way to the synagogue in that area, and Peter's house is right here, and you could throw a stone to the synagogue easily, even if you had a bad baseball arm like me, and, and the Sea of Galilee is right there, and he's interrupted by a guy named Jairus, who's absolutely desperate with his need because the way love crosses the line is by meeting our needs. Let's look at the passage. It's found in Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 18. Let's stand if we would. And now, the reason I went through that background that I just described with all the stories about the patch and the, the mourning and the funeral and the wedding and the wine is because it starts out this way in verse 18. While he was saying these things, you see, Jesus is going to live out those things that he's just talked about. 
While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, my daughter has just died. Any dads in the house? Any dads with daughters in the house? If there's something you never want to hear your own mouth say, it's that your little girl has just passed away. It turns your blood cold to even think about the statement. And, 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 but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Mm. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. They came along. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away. For the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went throughout the land. That word district means the whole earth. May it be so among us. You may be seated. Love crosses the line. I, I, I see this man, Jairus, and... And we look at him, and it's maybe hard for us to understand, but he's about to cross a line today. He's the synagogue ruler. And, and Jesus is the rabbi in town that's been causing all the ruckus, all the trouble. Jesus touches those people. He talks to those people. You know, we have rules around here. And Jairus is the synagogue ruler. He has dignity. But his daughter has just died. And all of a sudden, his dignity is less important than his daughter. And so he crosses the line. That's what love does. It makes us willing to even give up a bit of our dignity to do the right thing. Amen? And, and he's the ruler of the synagogue. And so he does have a reputation to uphold. He is the religious leader, but he crosses the line of reputation. And if he loses his status in the synagogue, there's that income thing. And if he, if he aligns himself with Jesus, it, it's not only going to cost him his dignity and his reputation, but he risks his finances. And when he gives his finances, uh, there's what, what is his wife going to think? You're going to go do what? You're going to talk to who? Our little girl is dead in the back bedroom, and you think you're going to go talk to some guy and bring her back from the dead? He's going to have to give up what people think about him and cross the line. And, and then he's going to have to submit himself. You know, it's impossible to cling to Jesus, to throw ourselves at Jesus and hold our own needs in the grasp of our own hands. And so Jesus becomes, as, as Jairus crosses a line, he becomes completely dependent upon Jesus Christ. Amen. So many times, God is the last one we consult 
when Jesus should be the first we talk to. I could have an amen from you in the back. <laughs> amen? That that's what he does. He, he, he crosses the line of total dependency and total submission and, and throws himself completely at Jesus. If we want to have our, our need met, uh, what God wants to do with us today, I think there's some parallel between Jairus and us about reputation and about risk and about uh, what people think about us and about finances and about dependency and about submission. Anybody with me this morning? But there's a lady that interrupts the story and she has the same pattern. By the way, I think Zacchaeus had the same pattern. And she comes to Jesus and she's been isolated from her community for over a decade. She hasn't been in worship for 12 years. I was away from worship in this congregation for three months. I, the last service that we went to was in Hawaii at Honolulu. That's not a bad place to go to church. And a lady was giving her testimony and I was just weeping the whole time as the Spirit of God touched me. And Melody said, we gotta get you back to church. I can't even begin to imagine how desperate she was and how, how she had no intimacy of any kind. You see, in Jesus' community of his day, you didn't touch dead people when you're a rabbi. You didn't talk to women when you're a rabbi. You don't interface with people have, who have diseases. In Jesus' day, they don't have penicillin. They don't have great... ICU quarantine units to take care of anything. Disease can spread in a moment across a whole population and wipe them out. And so God had some great rules in his book about how to handle things, but they added 600 to them. You know, that's the way to take care of it. Don't just stay a little bit past the line. Get way back from it. And so they have 600 rules. And she knows the rules. You don't talk to people. You don't worship. There's no mention of her husband. He probably divorced her a long time ago because the, the Bible says that Jewish men in that day could just say a word and the relationship was over because it wasn't inconvenient. And so she has no marriage relationship that we know of and she hasn't spent time with her children. Anybody she would have intersected life with would have been unclean. When she walked through town, people parted like the, it was the Red Sea all over again, and she takes a risk, and she says to herself, if I could just have this much of Jesus, have you ever been there? If I could just touch the hem of his garment, that, that word hem means that the rabbis had four tassels on each part of their robe. Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. We don't tend to think of him that way, but that's the culture he grew up in. That's who he is. He's a Jew, and he's a rabbi, and he's a leader. And she dared to touch him. You don't touch rabbis. I've wondered what would have happened if, if Jairus hadn't crossed the line. I've wondered what would have happened if this lady hadn't decided to reach out to Jesus Christ and touch him. So they, they crossed the line. Love crosses a line. But it's not only them. You know, the line goes both ways. Did you notice that? Both directions. And they cross over, but guess what? 
Somebody else crosses over. Anybody know who it is? Jesus crosses over. I, I, lo I love the way Jesus crosses the line. He, you don't touch those kind of people. You don't talk to those kind of people. You don't interface with those kind of people. And Jesus just blows it out of the water. And he reaches down and he speaks to her. And, and he doesn't say to her, uh, lady. He doesn't use the the formal term that we hear so often in scripture, woman, that's how a rabbi would have spoken in that culture. On, on my phone, I have my favorites. And my family's on there. And I've got Melody, and then by age, I've got Kaylee, my girl. That's how I entered it in the phone. Kaylee, my girl. She's married now to Jordan, and he thinks that she's his girl, but I always know that she's my girl. Kaylee, my girl. And when Jesus talks to this woman, he says to her, my girl. My daughter, your faith has healed you. Sozo. It's, it's like salvation and physical touch. We come to Jesus with our need and our prescription, and he does way different and way better than we ever think. Jesus wants a physical touch, and God takes care of it all. You know, we look at Jesus and think, ah, oh, yeah, that was easy for him. Jesus, you know, he, he must have, it just must have been simple to cross the cultural barrier and the expectations of people barrier when he goes into the house where Jairus' daughter is, there's a huge commotion and they're playing flutes and they're mourning and they're crying. The little girl's dead in the back room. And Jesus says, she is not dead, she's sleeping. You know, it takes a lot of courage to step out of your situation and say, I'm not gonna agree with everybody who says that divorce just has to happen because it has to happen because it's dead anyway. Jesus speaks life into it. That alcoholic that just can't seem to stop the drink or that porn problem or that whatever it is, and, and people say, ah, they'll never change. Jesus says, it, they're not dead. There's hope. There's health. In fact, you may have walked in here today and you're carrying with you some need and you go, ah, oh, it's dead anyway, why try? Can I just tell you, there's life on the other side of the line. You may be the only person that is praying to a, into a life-death situation. Don't you give up. God loves to bring things back to life that were once dead. He crosses the line. Uh, again, we think it's all comfortable for Jesus. But the Scripture doesn't tell me that. The Scripture doesn't tell me that crosses are comfortable. You see, Jesus is 100% human and 100% God. He was tempted in every way like we are. And the cross hurt him. But he decided it was more important to endure the cross than to be comfortable, and so he crossed the line. I just think there's a challenge there. That he, he calls us to cross the line. He calls us to be uncomfortable. People think that I'm comfortable with, with all the things God calls me to because I'm a pastor. D 
Did you know the pastors aren't all that comfortable with everything either? Sometimes God says to me, I want to share your faith at, at the restaurant. It's really not convenient or comfortable to share your, 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 your testimony when you'd really have, rather have chicken fried steak and just let it be alone. Sometimes he, he tells you to share your testimony when you're in the sauna. That's really inconvenient. <laughs> he did that to me one time. I'm going, really? God, I think you're, you're not really telling me that. And it wouldn't go away, and it wouldn't go away. <clears throat> and I actually said to the Holy Spirit, okay. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, but I would rather be a fool for you than be disobedient. And so I stepped out of my comfort zone and said, look, buddy, I'm sorry. Like, we're all, I'm not naked, but you're naked. But anyway, sorry. TMI, sorry. And some of you know this story, but I said to him, I just feel compelled that God cares about your situation, and I would like to pray for you in the sauna. I... In the sauna. And he said, I was just on the way to the attorney to talk about whether or not we should end our marriage. And I was coming here to relax and try to figure it out because I just couldn't figure out what to do. And you talked to me. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that Jesus troubled me and called me out and said, I want you to cross the line. You see, I think he's waiting We'll talk more about this in our series upcoming in October called The Invitational Life, but I think he's calling a whole group of people at Eagle Nash to be uncomfortable, to cross the line to meet people's needs. We have here today a, a gal in our church, Amber Gamble, had Jesus meet her need in a wonderful way, and I thought somebody here might be encouraged if Amber shared her story. So, Amber, I want to invite you up if you would come, and uh, we just want to hear what you have to say today. Good morning. Um, when Pastor Tim called me this week and asked if I would speak, I was, honestly, I first was very excited because it was an opportunity for me to just share to more people about how good God has been to me and my family. But then he also said, oh, by the way, it's this Sunday. And that was Wednesday. <laughs> so I was expecting to be behind a video camera where you could edit and make things look a little bit prettier. Or if I screwed up and said something wrong, they could just delete that. So anyway, I um, went home that night and I shared with my family. We were sitting around the dinner table and my nine-year-old sweet little daughter came running around the table and she said, don't worry, Mom. There'll just be a lot of people, and they can't laugh at you all at one time. So needless to say, that really didn't help my speaking nerves at all. But it wasn't until I opened up the Bible verse that Pastor Tim had sent me that I realized just how perfect God had orchestrated for me to come and speak to you guys today. God had placed a memory verse on my heart literally a year ago, and it's so it's basically the same scriptures that he spoke on today, but I want to share exactly that until I kind of give you a little back history of my life the past year. So we moved here from Missouri. Um, in October, it'll be a year that we moved here. When we moved here, 
I finally had felt better after being sick for almost 11 years. Um, I had had excruciating pain in my body, numerous seizures, um, just unusual symptoms that doctors and specialists honestly couldn't ever pinpoint. Sometimes I'd get up, my limbs would not function right. I couldn't walk, I couldn't talk. Sometimes I couldn't even calculate two plus two in my head. Um, I kind of looked at our move as it was just gonna be a fresh start for, for me um, health-wise, but it was also just one of those emotionally very hard moves because we moved here not knowing a single person. So after a few weeks of um, being here and being kind of settled in, got my kids back in school, I slowly started noticing that the pain that I'd had for 11 years was starting to come back in my limbs. I'd get up some days and my legs would drag. Um, I couldn't speak real clearly. And within a month, um, starting in November, I started having seizures, multiple seizures a day. So many seizures that basically um, I was bedridden. My husband, not knowing anybody, we really didn't have any family here. We flew my mom here. Um, and I would stay pretty much isolated in my room. Um, not so much that I needed to be in there, it was more along the lines of I wanted to protect my kids from seeing the fact their mom was having seizures minute by minute. Um, I went to doctors during that time and they would give me a medication and it would work for a little bit and then it would stop working. So that went on for many, many months until in April of this year, I found a specialist that I went to um, two and a half hours away. And I had been to numerous specialists within that 11-year span of being sick. And he said, don't worry, I just think you've been to the wrong doctor. I can help you. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you probably can, but we'll try it again. So he hooked me up to IVs for about four to five hours. Um, and sent me on my way, uh, my trek back home with my husband and my youngest daughter in the back seat. And within five minutes of being in that car, I started having seizures for those two and a half hours. I had so many seizures that my husband quit counting at 35. Um, during this difficult time of just moving and transition, we met two of the sweetest people um, at this church, Chuck and Lisa and also Doug and Amber um, basically just reached out to our family. I really honestly couldn't really interact with them. My husband and my two kids were coming to this church, but I really couldn't attend at all. But during that weekend that was so horrific for me, um, Chuck reached out to my husband and said, hey, I would really like for my wife and Doug and Amber to come over and just pray over your wife. And he said, oh, of course, we would love that. Well, in my back of the mind, I really didn't want anybody to come over and pray for me. And it wasn't because I didn't want the prayer. It was because, pridefully, I couldn't get out of my PJs. I couldn't fix my hair. I couldn't talk. I could just lay there and just stare at them. Um, so pridefully, that was really, really hard. But these sweet couples came over. Um, and uh, began to pray along with my family and my mom. Um, they anointed my head with oil, and they began to pray for me. 
And within 10 minutes of them starting to pray for me, it was literally like God put a hand, a comforting blanket, literally over my body. And I stopped convulsing. I stopped um, having pain in my body. And immediately I started being able to speak so much that I could start praying and just thanking God for what he had done. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I think it was funny when everybody left that night. I think we were all kind of in shock and awe of what God had done. You hear all the time about people being prayed in the Bible, but sometimes you don't, don't hear it, literally, somebody now being healed. So I think it was, for me, it was more along the lines, I'm healed, I get to get up. And in, in motherly fashion, I walked over to the kitchen sink and I started doing dishes rather than, oh, yes, I'm healed. Um, my family, it seemed like the next little bit just kept, every morning they would say, hey, Mom, are you okay? Are you sure you don't need to go lay down? My husband would repeatedly say, are you sure you're all right? Maybe we should go back home. Maybe we shouldn't be hiking. Maybe we shouldn't go on a bike ride. And I kept saying, you know what? God has completely healed me, and I'm going to stand on that and believe that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I have to say that um, during the six months prior to me being healed, that I really referred to that time many, many times as my death. Death because I knew that God could heal me, but honestly, after 11 years of praying and continually seeking him and not really seeing any results, I just thought, you know what? Maybe God doesn't want me to. Maybe he just wants me to live like this, and I guess I need to be okay with that. And death because I was lonely and completely isolated in a new state that I knew absolutely nobody. Um, death because I missed my family and friends during this difficult time. And in fact, the weekend that everyone um, came over and laid hands on me and prayed for me, I honestly told my husband, I'm ready to die. I'm ready for God to take me. I believe that God heard my prayers during that time. In fact, so much so that he placed this scripture on my heart. And I've stood by that literally through the hardest seasons of my life. And I'd like to share that scripture with you. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Telethakum. I'm sorry. And immediately the girl got up and she walked. I have those um, words, Telethakum, tattooed on my arm now. And it's a testimony of just how good God is. A testimony for people that don't, I don't know. I want it to be a witness that people ask, what is that on your arm? And that I can declare that Jesus completely healed me and he's a God that will touch your need and reach down and grab you in the circumstances that you're in. Our God is so good and I'm so very thankful and thank you for letting me share today.
Pastor Carly, when you suggested uh, a different passage for this message, that you thought this one somehow might be special to touch people's heart about the way Jesus meets needs, I just want to thank you for your sensitivity to the Spirit in that moment. When Jesus looked at the little girl, he took her hand and said, Talitha, cool. And I'm telling you, as a father's heart, nothing touches me about my Jesus looking at his daughter and saying, stand up. You see, there's something in the heart of God that loves to cross the line. I don't think it's just Jairus. I don't think it's just Zacchaeus. I don't think it's just a lady. I don't even think it's just Jesus. I think Father God loves to cross the line to meet needs. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have what? Have life. He is the ultimate needs meeting God. And sometimes I think it was more difficult for God to cross the line than even for us to cross the line because he gave his only son.